Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and all thy people since the time the kings of Assyria unto this day. So he's, he's given a, a history lesson here, you might say, of how they got to this place where they are, uh, and how they got there was their sin against God, against the holy God. That's, that's the, really the context of the, of the whole thing here. Of course, remember, Assyria was the first one. Assyria took the northern kingdoms captive. They were the first ones to really take over part of Israel. And then, of course, Babylon took over Judea, the northern two tri- southern two tribes. Verse 33, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened to thy commandments and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, in thy great goodness that thou gavest them. And in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion of our, over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Now you might say this was an Old Testament, what we would call today a standard sheet. So the, what I'm going to preach on tonight is why standards? Why standards? Um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. I pray that as we look into the word of God, I pray that we would uh, allow our hearts to be taught, and I pray that the Spirit of God would help us to be receptive to the things we hear tonight, and uh just allow you to have your will and your way, and you be glorified in your church. Uh, we do thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why standards? You know, a standard is something, according to the dictionary.com, something considered by an authority or by general consent as the basis of comparison or an approved model. Another definition was a rule or principle that is used as a basis for judgment. And then there was, there was quite a few, but then there was another one that went like this. An average or normal requirement, quality, quantity, level, grade, etc., etc. So a standard is something that's considered by an authority as a basis for compare, or it's a rule or principle that is used as a basis for judgment. It's, it, is a, it is considered a normal requirement. And I would consent to you tonight that the world thinks it's normal for Christians to have standards. They expect us, they expect us to be different. They don't have any respect. They really don't have any respect for Joel Stein. 
and build Bibles. And the world, in fact, you know that they, you know, those churches uh, uh, market the gospel or water down the gospel, and, you know, come as you are, kind of thing, and 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 they get the world. That's what they get. And and even even Bibles and the Willow Creek Association, and I was looking for it and I couldn't find it before it came tonight. Gave this article several years ago about the fact that they expected when they got the people into the church that they would change. <laughs> but their expectation didn't realize. Because they, what they got was just people of the world. I mean, and now people are leaving these China kind of churches because they can get their, their blue lights and their other thing, you know, all this carnival stuff somewhere else, you know. And don't have to give their tithe and offering to support it. Anyway, uh, the world does expect it. So, but I want laying that aside. I want to look at three. I have three basic points here tonight. First of all, standards are to be based on the Word of God. Now, one of the definition, definitions was something considered by an authority. So, standards are based on the Word of God. You know, our standard is the Bible. That's our authority. It is our authority. Uh, I'm going to be looking at a lot of verses tonight as well to substantiate what I'm saying. 2 Timothy 3.16, many of these verses are familiar to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction righteous, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, all scripture is given by inspiration. It is God breathed. It is God's words. And it's all profitable for doctrine, teaches us what is right, for reproof, what is not right, for correction, how to make it right, and for instruction, how to keep it right. That the man of God, woman of God, whoever it may be, may be perfect, mature, grown up, thoroughly, inside and out. So we're talking about the Word of God is capable of making a person a, a mature or whole or complete Christian is the idea here. And it is our standard. You know, in Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus in his temptation from the devil told him this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. And that is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Well, that's what Moses told the children of Israel. You know, that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the Bible, we are to live by the word of God. It is to be our standard. It is to be our authority for standards. Uh, In 1 John chapter 5. Verse 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. You know, the Word of God is God's written record of himself and his Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us, and in, 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 of course, in the Word of God, in John twelve forty seven, you know, he, he said, "I came not to judge the world," and he, and but he said, 
I was going to quote it, and I can't, can't remember now how it goes. But I came not to judge the world, John 12, 47, 48. <laughs> Excuse me. If anybody hear my words and believe not, I judge them not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He came the first time to save the world. He's coming again to judge the world. But this he said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. So, so there's a day in which man can reject his words. That is today. That was when he was on earth. And that is today. However, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. So we are, we are going to be judged by the word of God. It is our authority. It's what we're going to answer to. Uh, Paul wrote to the churches at Rome and said, Romans 2, 2, that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such wickedness. John 17, 17 says, Thy word is true. You know, when somebody tells me they are saved, I measure their testimony by the authority. The word of God. Not by what I think, but what's the word of God say? We ought to do that. What a measure everything by the word of God. In fact, go to, go to Ezra. I, I just read this today, and it, and it really struck me. In Ezra chapter 5. <clears throat> Ezra chapter 5. And uh, verse 1. You know, the children of Israel, of course, had returned from captivity. They were endeavoring to build the temple. Cyrus had given command for it to be rebuilt. Uh, he had given the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away uh, to Ezra and the priests and them to take back and, and put in the temple, and, and they were given a commandment. However, the people of the land, as we see here, are going to oppose it. It says, Ezra 5, 1, Then the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied on the Jews that were in Judea, Judah, and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealti, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God, helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side, the river, and Shathar, Bosnai, and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house, and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them, After this manner, what are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned to answer by the letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and his companions, the Arphaxites, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him, wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went unto the provinces of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders, and said unto them thus, Who commanded you to build this house, and to make up these walls? We asked their names also, to certify thee, that we might write the names of the men that were chief of them. Now notice what they said. And thus they returned us answer, say, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. 
and build the house that was built these many years ago, which the great king of Israel built and set up. But after that, our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away unto Babylon. So they asked him the names. They didn't give him the names. They said the God. They returned an answer. We are the servants of God. We're the servants of God. This is God's house. This house wasn't made for man, but God. And, and we must remember that God gave the pattern to Moses for the tabernacle. And, of course, the temple was built after that pattern, the inner parts of the temple. And so it was not built after or for a man. God built it, and when man defiled it, God tore it down or destroyed it. He brought in the Babylonians to destroy it because man had defiled his house. You know, it's God that builds churches, and he also has the right to remove his candlestick when they become defiled. He has the right to tear it down when it becomes corrupt within. You know, God will build and establish your life if you seek his pattern. If you reject him, you will be brought to confusion and shame. You know, a manufacturer that is interested in selling products, he has great interest in one key area. I mean, if he wants to continue to sell products over a long period of time, there's one key thing that he's very interested in. You know what that is? Quality control. In other words, there's a standard that must be met for that product to continue to sell. Uh, and manufacturers who ignore consumer-mandated standards, how dare consumers mandate that they set a standard, you know, do so at their own peril. You know, I used to buy Porter Cable tools. This is not an advertisement for tools, but it illustrates this point. Of course, you all know Sheldon Hutchins. Sheldon Hutchins used to worship Porter Cable tools. I went to his toolbox to get a nail, nail gun one time, and he said, go, if you go, go get me that nail, framing nailer, please. And so I went to got it, and there's an Hitachi nail, nail gun laying in his, his toolbox. And I said, are you committing adultery? <laughs> I saw a, a Hitachi nail gun in your toolbox. And he said, no, that's all they had. Um, but, but Porter Cable has changed. They've merged with other companies, and the quality is not there. I asked him some time ago, just a couple years ago, would you buy a Porter Cable table saw? He thought for a minute. He said, no. He said, the one, I bought one just a few years ago, and within a year I had to replace the motor. What happened? The quality standards dropped. You see, God has a standard. You know, and his... Uh, our authority for, for standards is the word of God. So we need, to, we need to base our standards on the word of God. So standards ought to be based on the word of God. Our standard, of course, is the Bible. The, 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 secondly, the, the principal basis for Bible standards is the holiness of God. 
the holiness of God. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 11, <coughs> excuse me, Le- Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45, the Bible says, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defy yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In chapter 20, in verse 7, again, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And then again in verse 26, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be nigh. So, you know, again, the basic principle or basis for Bible standards is the holiness of God. Because God is holy, He has standards. He has quality requirements, if you will. Quality requirements or expectations. You know, Habakkuk one thirteen says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon on iniquity. Isaiah 57.15 Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited the eternity, whose name is holy. You know, James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 15.16, Be holy, for I am holy. You know, John tells us that there's no shadow of turning in him. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So how you respond to those requirements, the the, the holiness of God will determine the level of fellowship you have with him. Now, I'm sure all of you have a best friend. And you probably have some casual friends. I mean, they're your friends, but they're not your best friends. You see, your best friend is always someone you have more mutual agreement with, right? It's kind of a no-brainer. Well, if you go to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, of course, John is known as the apostle whom Jesus loved. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John, this is John's testimony, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. See, John is writing to you and I out of experience of close fellowship with the Lord. And then he says, here's how you have it. Look at verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, what he's saying is, if we walk in agreement with God, we are walking in fellowship with God. If we are obeying him, we are walking in fellowship with him. But when we, when we refuse to obey the Lord, we're not walking in fellowship with him. We lie and do not the truth. You know, John didn't always walk in fellowship with the Lord. You remember the one time they were coming back from Samaritan, Samaritan I think it was Samaria, and, and uh, because the Samaritans didn't receive him, James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy them sinners. <laughs> and Jesus said, you know what manner of men you are. You know. Uh, he rebuked them for it. But, but John here tells us how. You know, John learned to walk in fellowship. He became the disciple whom Jesus loved, who leaned on his breast at supper, whom Peter said to, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, Peter said, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is. You know, not everybody could ask Jesus that kind of a question. It was somebody that was in close fellowship. Chapter 2, verse 3, again he says, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Again, the, the abiding there talks, is talking about constant communion or fellowship. It's dwelling together in close fellowship. So, you know, the basis for Bible standards is the holiness. God is a holy God. He cannot dwell with sin and wickedness. You know, he requires or expects high standards. He has high expectations. So is the medical community. You know, they require high standards of education, on-the-job performance, licensure. I mean, if you want to have a surgery, you will not come to me and say, hey, um, for a third of the price, I'll let you take my appendix out. I mean, after all, I learned how off of YouTube University, you know. You'd say, no way, preacher. Uh-uh. I want somebody with credentials and experience who knows what they're doing. You go play, play a baseball or football game and just eliminate all standards. See how it goes. You know, maybe he's a poor hitter, so, so you insist on him having getting six strikes before he's out. Or, you know, maybe your players on your football team are not as experienced as the other team, so you want to be allowed to have 16 instead of 11. We say, well, that's not fair. So you have a standard, you bigot, Pharisee, legalist. You know, we require standards in everyday life, all the time. And yet we balk 
when God expects standards from us. A God who is holy and righteous. So the principal basis for Bible standards is the holiness of God. I want you to know this third thing. Standards are the normal expected requirement of the Christian life. You know, again, one of the definitions was an average or normal requirement. Quality, quantity. So standards are the normal expected requirement of the Christian life. This was, this was without question up until at least 50 years ago. People didn't question this. Christians didn't question it. The world didn't question it. In fact, I don't think the world still does. They expect us to be different. No, they think we're a little strange, but they expect us to be different. It's the contemporary movement that balks at this. Most of which, in my opinion, you know, sounds judgmental, judgmental, are not really Christian. You know, I believe when a person is faced with truth, they're truly born again, they'll embrace it. And when they say, no way, I ain't doing it. To me, that speaks very loudly of where they really are. You see, this is a normal expected requirement of Christian life. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. You know, if you read the Bible and if you accept all the words of the Bible, again, this is the problem with the contemporary Christian music or Christian community. They don't want to accept, quote, the negative parts of the Bible, which they don't realize they're rejecting the positive parts. Because separation brings us closer to God. That's the purpose of it. Um. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we are to be holy. He says to be holy. We are, as obedient children, we're to be holy as he is holy. So we ought to be holy because we are his children. We are to bear the image of our father. Now, that's not a foreign thought, exclusive just to the Bible. You know, people have often said about my family, well, you can always tell a biler. You just can't tell them very much. 
Uh, you know, but you, 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 you see one, you know who they are. Oh, yeah, you're Jeff Bowler's child, son, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, why? Because we bear the image. Where they're, uh, you know, there's offspring. Uh, and, and the Bible says here, we're born with incorruptible seed, the word of God. We've been purified with a precious blood of Christ, which is incorruptible, he abides in us by his Holy Spirit. It says we've, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and unfeigned love of the brother in verse 22. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So if your souls have been purified, it ought to show in how you relate to one another. There should be a change of heart. And really, the heart of this is the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Standards is a matter of the heart. So Peter writes here, he's expecting a change in their life. You know, God expects his children to live different from the world. 1 Peter 2.9 but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. And that word peculiar doesn't mean you're weird. It's talking about a purchased possession. You're, you're a, a, a possession, a precious possession of God. And, and so he says that ye should show forth, and here's the significant difference, ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby I given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So when we, get, when we are born again, we receive a divine nature, a new nature. Now the old nature is still there, but we, also, we receive this new nature. A, the nature of the Spirit of God that dwells within. And he teaches us and instructs us, convicts us. And changes us into the image of Christ. You know, and throughout the New Testament, you know, holiness is not an Old Testament doctrine, it's a New Testament one as well. Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In, in all of the writings of the New Testament writers. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 4, I therefore the prisons of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, verse 23, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. But fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it be not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
And no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. See, the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit abides in, the Holy Spirit abides in you, he's going to bring forth fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You know, at Thessalonica, in Acts chapter 17, this was what was said about him, the Christians. Verse 6, And when they found them not, they knew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down have come here also. The first century Christians changed the world. They were making an impact. Though they were a minority, they were making a very strong impact. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, in verses 26 and 27, you remember the uproar at Ephesus, and uh, Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, caused an uproar there, and, and, and he said this, More you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. What was happening? Well, people were getting saved and they were throwing away their idols. They weren't buying the silver idols anymore. They rejected the idols and they rejected also the house of prostitution along with it. That's where they sold a lot of their wares. And it was causing a lack in business for the perpetrators of this wickedness. You see, there was a change that took place in the lives of God's people. They had a change in the way of living. And God expects us to have standards of holiness. In fact, Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now that's a pretty strong statement. without which no man shall see the Lord. If our heart is seeking after God, standards will not be an issue. Won't be an issue. Yeah, the world expects it too. The world has lost its respect for Christianity. Because Christendom today fails to make a difference in people's lives. Fails to make a difference. 
I was talking to Nathan here some time ago about this very thing. We're on kind of different subject, but this this came to mind about you know these uh, Christian psychologists and psychiatrists. Psychology and psychiatrists, study of the mind. They're head shrinkers, I call them. And they're trying to combine Freud, who was a wicked, worldly man, and excused sin because of your upbringing or whatever, he excused it, with the Bible. The two don't mix. It's like trying to mix oil and water. I have a friend who went through a divorce, and then he got remarried, and in his second marriage, he was having problems. So he went to one of these Minneth Meyer clinics, supposed to be Christian psychologists, recommended by James Dobson and all the folks on the all that stuff, you know. And uh, he said, Jason, I'll just tell you what that is. He said, you go in there, you pay him $125 an hour, and you have a little talk. He said, he said, he said I told the guy one day, I said, I really need help. You know, I'm I'm having problems in marriage. He said, well, I have a real good divorce plan right here in my drawer. He said, I don't want another divorce. I want solutions to my problems. You know what he needed to do? He needed to just go to his pastor and listen to what he had to say. Forget that psychologist. You see, that's... That's what Christendom has become. But we are to be his witnesses. We are to bear his image. You know, Romans 8.29 says, uh, we are to be conformed to the image of the Son. So we ought to bear his image. We do bear his name. Christian. You know, the Bible uses the word Christian, Christians once and in Christian two times. Plural form once is three times total. But in Acts 11, 26, it's, it's very descriptive here of what Christian is or means. When he had found them, he brought them unto Antioch, and it came to pass as the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And Antioch was where the first missionaries were sent out also. Um, Paul and Barnabas. Um, you know, Agrippa said unto Paul, Acts twenty six twenty eight, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. But he knew, see, he knew. He knew it was going to require some repentance. It was going to require repentance on his part. He was living in immorality. Almost. He knew it was going to require change. Of course, many will say today, well, preacher, that stuff is outdated. This is 2019. Yeah, when we started the church, I think I shared this before you. Somebody lives up beyond our way, told Pastor Green, well, this is, isn't the 90s. <laughs> yeah. In reference to standards. However, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's still holy. 
Therefore, we are expected by God in 2019 to have biblical standards. You know, Malachi 3.6, Malachi 3.6, the Lord said to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob were not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are going away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? You see, they had moved away from God, but God said, I have not changed, and I do not change. I have not moved, you have. So if you want my blessing, you've got to move back. <laughs> That's the idea. Return unto me. And of course, he goes on and talks about tithing. They, they robbed him. They were bringing, and of course, Malachi talks about the, 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 the lame and the blind offerings they were bringing to the Lord. But so I haven't changed. This is where I've always stood. So return to me. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. So we must conclude then that when churches change doctrines and practices held for centuries by Bible believers based on the scriptures, the message they are giving to the world is, our God has changed. You know, I was reading a book. Um, on the Waldensians by Ted Ted uh, let's go to Ted Williams but that's a baseball player uh, Ted Alexander he's a Baptist historian sorts not a sorts he is a Baptist historian anyway he had a little book on the on on the Waldensians talks about their 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 stand on drinking dancing courtship. And you would think they were modern-day independent Baptists. They gave biblical reasons for all those things, which a lot of you know, sound Bible-believing churches hold today. See, God doesn't change. And everyone has standards. Everyone does. It's just where you hold them. Or who dictates what your standards are. Whether it be yourself, your friends, the world, your parents, or the Lord. Who determines your standards tells you who your authority is. So, so why standards? Well... Because God expects standards of holiness because he is holy. His holiness is the basis for all Bible standards. So we're going to be looking at next few weeks standards that we hold and why. Uh, They are given. They are fences for our protection and for us to protect a good image of who God is.